What is going on, my friends? I hope you are doing well today. The team at TRE wants to say thank you so much for all the support. Thank you for joining today. This is the Real Estate Podcast, and we want you guys to do us a solid. If you don't mind, can you help us get the message out? We believe that real estate can be for anybody, and we believe there's opportunities for people to grow with us. So if you can, please share, subscribe, like, comment. Thank you for being here on our journey, and we are going to continue to add as much value as we possibly can and try to shake up the industry. Let's dive in. You gotta like, go, man. You yeah. gotta. You have to. It, that's that's agile, opportunistic. Yeah. Uh, that's the life of the entrepreneur. Sure. Uh, sometimes the opportunity shows up to you. You don't go find it. You mm-hmm. know. We don't. We don't set out to go do this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, but then you find yourself forcing it. Mm. Instead, it's like okay, capitalize on market opportunity, tech disruption. There has to be kind of like the spark that shows up. And the ability for people to jump ship and harness that power, mm-hmm. that's where you see successful entrepreneurs really quickly. They're just being created. All right, let's get it. All right, guys, welcome to the Real Estate Podcast. I'm excited today. Uh, we have Chris Raglan, serial entrepreneur. Thank you guys for tuning in if you can. Make sure to like, comment, subscribe, share with your friends. Let's get the message out about being an entrepreneur and figuring out how to grow with people and get more out of real estate. Chris, thanks for being here, man. It's interesting because you're teamed up with us in a sense at TRE, uh, but I don't really know you that well, so I'm excited to get to know you and uh, also get the audience to know who you are. And ultimately, what we try to do here is just provide value for entrepreneurs and hear your story and have a conversation. So thanks for coming on, man. Cool, thanks for having me. You know, it is pretty ironic. Like we're gonna talk more about each other maybe on a human level today than we ever have before. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I like about this podcast is um, you get to know people deeper. Like you don't usually have a conversation where you ask someone about their background and you have a little bit more time. And so it's pretty special. You get to know someone, build a relationship, get content, add value all pretty cool yeah absolutely but you know we did meet through real estate so that's definitely our common connection yeah absolutely. Yeah, and i do appreciate you guys jumping in and lending myself and my team a hand when we needed it the yeah. fact that you guys were able to step in and be so agile at a really short notice was was really cool i think it says a lot about you and the team and the, the type of challenges you like to overcome i love it yeah thanks for saying that um it's been pretty cool and we're uh, we're all growing and so if you don't mind, um, maybe share a little bit about who you are, where you're from, as much detail as you want to go into it. No rush here, so you know, sure. Yeah, is this rated like PG-13 or R? Anything goes, Anything goes. That's great. No, I, I'm I'm kidding, but um, so sure. Uh, I, I'm from Austin. You know, I'm one of those. I guess now there's like only a few left. I don't know what it's like. It's like people call us unicorns, which I think is ridiculous. Um, my family actually has been in Central Texas since the late 1800s, and um, my dad was a musician, so growing up as a kid in Austin, you know, in the uh, early 80s was a very different experience uh, yeah. than it is now. Um, but I had a hybrid life. We also had some, you know, some land out in the hill country, and so I ended up um, going to high school out in Marble Falls. Oh, cool. So I had this really cool small town kind of country upbringing during the week, and then on the weekends, my dad was playing live music in Austin, and it it was, you know, hanging out at the bars at the age of seven. <laughs> so, <laughs> like that sounds fun. It was a very, very interesting <laughs> world. Yeah. So, but, you know, I hung around here. Um, I went to college at um, St. Edward University. 
um, here in Austin. Um, I have my undergrad and my MBA from St. Ed's. And along the way, the big part for me has just been um, building teams of people. Uh, I really enjoy that. So I started at a young age, which we could get into. Um, but, you know, with a career now spanning about 25 years, um, I've either started or invested in or ran about 75 different companies, um, many of them in the real estate world, but also in a broad variety of other sectors too. everything from tech and finance to food and beverage and hospitality. So kind of a, a broad reach of different businesses. I love it. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the beginning. I mean, Oh, the beginning. What, where did it, what was the first business? <laughs> Dude, I'll tell you what. Um, most people that I talk to nowadays, uh, you know, unless they're my age or older, they can't even relate to this. But um, my first company uh, was a tech company. It was an internet service provider. And we sold basically 56K modem dial-up connection for people to join the internet. Okay. You know, so this is before broadband internet. Uh -huh. You you used a modem, and like I still remember when it was like you know the the 33 baud modem moved to the 56k, and it was exciting, and that was so much faster. And I mean, these are the days when you get on the internet and download a photo, and you'd literally watch it like line by line, load the photo, mm. you know, slowly mm. before your eyes. Um, you know, porn was a lot different back then. <laughs> so, um, but uh, you know, I could, there's there's two things credited with building out the internet: uh, pornography and uh -huh. Star Trek fans. That's it. Those are the two groups. But no, uh, all, all jokes aside, uh, it was an internet service provider uh, out in the hill country. And okay. we were the first unlimited internet provider. Like imagine these things now today. It's just like mind blowing to think about. But that was my first company. Okay. It was an internet service provider. And uh, what got you, like you saw an opportunity? Nope, didn't, dumb luck. I was 17 years old playing football, getting ready to go to play college ball somewhere next year, hopefully. And um my Spanish teacher's husband was like, hey, do you know any like tech oriented kids? And she's like, there's this one guy in our class. And like, he literally is the guy that they'll call down to the principal's office to fix a computer, mm. you know, cause no one else knows how to fix these things. Um, and, and I was, I was building computers and I was a total, you know, computer dork and I loved every minute of it. If I'd have been, you know, born 10 years sooner, I could have been part of the, the PC revolution, but um, I wasn't. And, but he was like, hey, do you want to pick up a part-time gig with me? And part-time turned into full-time, full-time turned into being, you know, a manager and a manager turned into being a partner in a, in a really short period of time. In fact, for me, it was so much fun. And I realized really how much passion I had for it, uh, that I ended up not taking a scholarship to play college football in exchange for running this business and mm. continuing to grow the company. But I mean, I mean, I had so much really interesting experience, marketing operations and tech, uh, hell, I was I was the voice on the radio for our, our commercials. You know, I was like 18 years old and learning every discipline you can imagine in the business for a small business, all at one time being thrown at you. It's yeah. like drinking from a fire hose. Yeah, so that's what started. Did you see yourself as an entrepreneur before that point? No, no. I mean, so that started yeah. a lot of it's it. It's in the it's in the family. I mean, several of my family members all run businesses and stuff, but that's not what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, heck, at the time, I was like, I wanted to go play college football, mm -hmm. and uh, we'll see what happens after that. Maybe I think you're supposed to get married and have kids, right? Isn't that how it goes? But um, <laughs> so yeah, no, man, I was just, I was getting ready to play college sports, and turned out I was just like, man. This is my calling. I love this stuff. That's cool. Yeah. So tech was my my first love for okay. sure. And then so what happened? Um, how did you did you sell the company or just moved on? Oh man, hard lessons early. Uh, check this out. So about a year and a half into me having this company with my partner at the time, 
uh, a little known invention was created called the broadband modem. And it was actually created here in Austin, ironically, at Bell Labs, you know, kind of a spinoff from Southwestern Bell. And they created basically the DSL cable modem. Okay. And they realized we could push, you know, 10 times the amount of information over existing cable and television or telephone lines. You didn't have to have a modem anymore, like an old school 56K dial-up. You could ride the same cable. And overnight, people who ran and owned internet service providers were just completely put out of business because we didn't have the infrastructure. You had to have the, basically the infrastructure running from your connection to the house. And mm -hmm. who has that? Well, cable providers and telephone providers. Mm. So now who runs the internet today? When you think of the internet, it's the telcos. It's, yeah. it's AT&T or Spectrum or Time Warner. Yeah. That's who runs the internet today. Mm. But prior to the invention of the broadband modem, the internet was run by decentralized, small internet service providers that were all connecting to each other. That's how it started. And um, so, yeah, that put us out of business in about six months flat. Yeah, we were expanding in other cities and we just couldn't compete. Nobody wow. could. And so that entire industry died in about a two and a half, three year period. So that was like Did a you, real hard lesson. Looking back, I know you're young, right? And like, as you get older, you think a lot more about like business strategy, but can you remember thinking back to that of like, what would be the future of this? Like, did, did you think like, this is, you know, this is the business, the future of it, you know, there's no disruptions or any kind of thought process like that? Well, I think of the broadband modem as an existential threat. Like none of us were sitting around going like, well, are we ready for COVID? <laughs> you know, before that if term had been invented, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't know, right? So it's existential. We did look at, you know, innovation and change, um, incremental improvements. And I think that's the a good lesson for business owners is it's not the small improvements, it's the tweaks, you know, oh, here's a new platform to get on social media, here's a new this. It's these existential game changers mm. that change everything. Like, can you imagine if something tomorrow just like replaced the entire MLS system <clears throat> and like, and within a 24 month period, mm -hmm. there was no more MLS, right? Right. That's what it was like for us. Mm. So it's really hard to prepare for the end of something that's so structural for you. Mm -hmm. It's like for us, the modems were just getting slightly faster and you would upgrade your hardware and play along. No one could have anticipated that the telecom industry was going to completely take over. Got it. Interesting. Yeah. We'll have to get into that on uh, our brokerage and our model mm -hmm. just to get your opinion on it. Yeah, um, sure. I, I just think that now, now for me, it's the having a, a parachute plan mm -hmm. is really important for small businesses. It's like, look, something inevitably is going to show up. It's going to be highly disruptive. How prepared are you to weather that storm, right? Yeah. Whether that's savings for capital, whether that's being nimble in your structure, mm -hmm. uh, whether that's having ancillary revenue streams mm -hmm. so that if one disappears overnight, you got four others, right. right? When you hear people talk about the value of multiple income streams and passive income, what they're saying is be, <clears throat> be resilient, you know, yeah. anti-fragile. It's like being able to take the hits and keep running. So we'll run through this real quick. Get your Tell me your honest opinion, but the, the vision here is be the place where people can come to get more out of real estate for themselves and to grow with others in doing that. And so it's looking at having a real estate license as one tool, but being a real estate professional. And so you have the option to, you know, wholesale, flip, manage, partner, make m money on all aspects of real estate. And I don't necessarily think that it's for everybody, but I do believe there's a niche of people that really want that and no brokerages that cater to it. And so, we're just all in on like, this is the place where you can have a freedom and not be put in a box. And, you know, we, we run into it all the time. Like 
people are like, man, I never felt comfortable talking to my broker about this, or I didn't feel comfortable dressing this way or this or that. And everyone gets into real estate, in my opinion, for some sense of freedom, right? You just don't want a job. And so I feel like we are disrupting the brokerage industry and we're not doing it on tech. We're not doing it with any secret. We just live it and believe in it. And it's validated every day by agents that are joining from other brokerages that come and they start thriving. Um, and then the next component that I believe is, is uh, where we want to go is like to a consumer of your meeting with us to be able to present all kinds of options and not just be like, here's what I think I can sell your house for. Here's a listing appointment. You ready? Yes or no? Let's go. And so <clears throat> would love your honest opinion on it, but I believe in my heart that we are changing the game or seeking to um, not necessarily disrupt like the MLS or tech or anything, but like be the home of the real entrepreneur, um, which I believe is a lot of people get their license for that, but they just never find it. Any, I think that's think good. That? No, I think that's fine. Uh, so you, what you're saying is, um, you know, almost being like lifestyle consultants, you know, it's like, I think of it as it's really appealing to both the agent as well as the customer in terms of like, I want to support you in the way you want to grow. Yeah. Right. And if you, you're having a humanist approach for sure, as opposed to systematic <clears throat> or, maybe being an expert in one area, right? Specialization, mm -hmm. you're having it, your, your specialization is the humanist approach. Mm. So if you can make investing in people mm -hmm. your priority mm -hmm. in terms of how you build this, then I think that is, that's got a lot of legs, Yeah, right? That's appealing, like, you know, this, again, there's two groups, right? It's, it's the agents. A lot of people get their license because they want to be independent but then they are like, oh, I'm chained to this brokerage and this is how I have to do everything. That's like the opposite. This feels like a job again. Right. Right. But if instead your approach is, hey, I want to understand what you want and need. And then I want to try and help facilitate that in the best way possible. No, that's going to lead to people being happier, more productive. They're going to have their own specialization, likely eventually. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to be more well-rounded as a brokerage. And then you have the consumer side. If you're more well-rounded as a brokerage, you're able to appeal to more people. Right. Your risk factors, of course, is like, well, where do I spend marketing dollars? Like, how do I articulate my message? <clears throat> you know, so all the classical, I would say, you know, PR and marketing and stuff will become your new challenge mm. because you will struggle with your identity. Mm. And then, but, but if you boil it back down, mm. you do have an identity. Your identity is we invest in the human. So if you can think of your consumers this way too, it's like, we're not going to show up with a listing appointment and show you the 200 item checklist that we're going to do for all of your listing. You know, right, right. I mean, okay, fine. If you want that, call one of the big box brokerages. That's what they coach. Sure. Instead, you're like, let's talk. Right. What do you need? What's important to you? And then you're going to uncover things from that customer that a typical broker will not. Sure. You're going to have a different relationship. You're going to understand what's important to them. And those things in my mind are arguably just as important or more important in that relationship than checking off a 200 list, you yeah. know, checklist. I agree completely. I love it. Yeah, I appreciate that. And that is, that is where I've been probably in the last like two, three months. And we've always believed that, but I've really realized like, I just got to support people. Like I gotta, you know, there's a bunch of people upstairs and at least go up there and, and check in as much as I want to like handle what I need to do. Like, mm -hmm. Hey guys, good. I'm here for you. And it means something. Right. And so totally. I, I think you get it pretty quickly, which is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, all right, so let's get back to your journey. Um, <laughs> that's the TRE story. Right. <laughs> um, Thanks for joining us today. Uh, join us next time. No, but it, uh, yeah, so, you know, the tech thing kind of put me on my butt. And um, I actually, it's kind of, a, you know, I'm trying to make a long story short, but I had a really cool tech background by that point, right? So I'm 19 years old. Uh, from a resume standpoint, I look like I've been in the tech sector for about four or five years you know, at this point, doing odd jobs and running an internet service provider. Well, I needed to get a job. I had to pay my bills. Um, My dad was a musician, and he didn't exactly bring home a lot of money, so I was on my own at a very young age. And, you know, so I I was taking classes at a university, but I hadn't graduated, so I built a resume, put all this tech experience on it, and I put my college down there, but I just left off the year, you know? I I didn't say I graduated. I just said I went there. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, I ended up getting a job at Dell, and um, this is back when Dell was like minting millionaires, you know, every week or something. Yeah. And they were hiring like crazy. And I got hired sight unseen. I never, they didn't come in for an interview and it was over the phone. And I came in and I'm a big dude, you know, and I've, I've got, you know, plenty of facial hair kind of thing. And, but I'm 19, you know, and no one knows. And I come in first day on the job and they show me what to do. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. I think this is great. And, you know, about five o'clock rolls around. They're like, all right, we're going to go, you know, kick it across the street for some happy hour. And I'm thinking to myself like, man, this is awkward, you know? And I'm like, oh, I'm, uh, I got plans today, uh-huh. you know? Well, how many days are you gonna be able to do that in a row, you know? And before you become like, dude, you know, are you okay? Do you not wanna hang out with your coworkers at least once a week or something, you know? Maybe you don't drink or something. And, you know, maybe I made a couple of other comments and one of the guys looks at me and he goes, hey man, where'd you go to school again? And I was like, well, you know, I did this and that and this and that. And he goes, how old are you? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, you know, I'm 19. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Okay. That explains a lot, you know? Um, but I could do the same job as these guys. Sure. I mean, it was, it was crazy. I was doing, um, technical white papers and I was published in technical magazines. There's one called IEEE, which is like a tech designation trade magazine. And I was, writing stuff next to PhDs. Mm-hmm. And um, I got involved in their media relations department for their, um, uh, it's called their enterprise server division. So I was doing this like really high tech stuff and it was really a lot of fun. And I made all these great connections and, you know, I was there for about three years and I kind of got tired of that. I was starting to do some consulting on the side for tech and everything. And that's the introduction to real estate, you know? So two things happened. I was making way too much money at 19 mm-hmm. and I bought a crazy big house. Right, because that's what you do. If you're 19, you're making big money, first time in your life, what do you do? I guess you buy a house. So I did, except I'm 19. So who, what do you think I did? I had all my bros move in with me. Mm. So next thing I know, I've got like four roommates. It's like Animal House, and I'm charging them all rent, and I, I'm not a genius or anything. I just thought, hey, what's fair? Well, whatever was fair ended up adding up to Morgan than my mortgage, and, and I wasn't paying anything. I was like, you know, it was like welcome to the cash flow game. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was real world. and. I had a bunch of other buddies who were like, hey, you got a spare bedroom? And I'm like, well, no, but I guess I could go buy another house and then you could rent a bedroom for me for my other house. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. And that's how it all started. So I started stacking mm-hmm. rental properties one after another. Uh, and then the other thing that got me into real estate was uh, consulting, doing tech consulting. Mm-hmm. And I did that for a, uh, a large real estate company and uh, learned the ins and outs of everything on the, the real estate world. And I was actually in... Um, it's a, it's a sector called, uh, well, now a lot of real estate people will know this. It's REOs, right? Yep. So the banks, they don't like to take care of their REO property. They actually hire companies to manage all their foreclosed properties for them. And we were one of those companies managing them across the nation. Okay. And we grew very, very quickly leading up to 2008. 
because you know some bad things happened there and um that's how i got into real estate those two those two kind of paths i was a <clears throat> landlord by you know accident and being a consultant inside of real estate companies so you grew up being interested in football and then it seems like these opportunities that came you just kind of went with them you gotta like, go man you yeah. gotta you have to it, that's that's agile opportunistic yeah uh, that's the life of the entrepreneur sure uh, sometimes the opportunity shows up to you you don't go find it you mm -hmm. know we don't we don't set out to go do this thing mm -hmm. um you can but then you find yourself forcing it mm. instead it's like okay capitalize on market opportunity tech disruption there has to be kind of like the spark that shows up and the ability for people to jump ship and harness that power, mm -hmm. that's where you see successful entrepreneurs really quickly. They're just being created. So you got to see and have different experiences with tech, with real estate. Um, then it became obvious, like, what's possible? What would you say? Is there some kind of next evolution of, like, something you learned or saw that? Yeah, definitely. It was uh, going back to school and getting my MBA. Um, I have a global <clears throat> MBA, so I spent two years every semester going to a different country. Okay. I had never been out of the United States, and I enrolled in this program. I was like, this will be crazy. Global MBA. So yeah. it's like travel around and learn business all over the world. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's oh, yeah, yeah, something <laughs> like that. You know, I'll tell you what, a lot more work than, than, than that. But, um, yeah, so basically, um, at the time, St. Ed's had this global MBA program. I'd never been out of the country, and I thought, you know what? I really need to explore this. Uh -huh. I didn't. I was so busy because so, I did finish my undergrad while I was at Dell, and like I was working full time, going to school full time, <clears> and <throat> and of course I, I had to go play some college sports because I got bored. So I played rugby at college too. Nice. And um, you know somehow I could fit all that in. Well, I was like, I'm going to get my MBA now, and so I did, and I started going to these other countries, and it just like completely opened my mind. Open my mind in terms of types of people, the different cultures, mm -hmm. how we view ourselves versus how the world views us. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm talking about kind of the American um, kind of issue there. Um, yeah, that was definitely the next moment of evolution for me. So then it kind of filled in a lot of like finance that I didn't have. Like I, I would say finance was not my strong suit as an undergrad. I wasn't really super interested in it. And then after my MBA, I had a really, really deep knowledge of finance. And I really took that with me and, and used that to build some very large companies too. Yeah, that was really important. So what, what was, so graduated, you learned a lot about, you know, all these different cultures, mm -hmm. business, finance, what's next? Yeah, so, you know, along the way of starting a lot of tech little startups along the way and some small real estate firms, um, one of the things you have to get good at if you, have a lot of upfront overhead is, is raising capital and bringing in investors. So I got really good at that mm -hmm. when I was traveling abroad. And it was because I had to learn people on the fly. And that skill translates really well in terms of raising capital. Mm. The other thing that happened when I was abroad was I could read financial statements now. And like, I've never, if I, I have never seen a company met the operators or anything. If you give me their financial statements, mm -hmm. I'll tell you all kinds of fun stuff about the company. That'll mm. be pretty spot on. Mm. And people think that that's fascinating. It's, it's not, it's just finance. Being able to read financial statements really well is, is key. I can tell you so much about a business doing that. Well, I took all of that information, knowledge and raising capital. And I was going to start a consultancy to try and help people. And my first client ended up being a very large private money lender or what we used to call hard money lenders. Mm -hmm. And um, I ended up becoming a partner there 
and built that company up to be one of the largest private lenders in the country. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of fun. So it was a lot of raising money, a lot of finance, a lot mm-hmm. of deploying that capital, um, and then a lot of building teams. You know, So um, we did so well there that we ended up creating kind of spinoff companies. And we created like a small angel fund or a VC fund. And we started buying up and building other types of businesses that were non-related to our core company. But so that, that was kind of an explosive growth for sure. Yeah. yeah. So the hard money, you sold it, that company? Or? I got, yeah, my partners ended up buying me out. Okay. Um, so kind of the next big life transition. Um, you know, I was there for almost a decade and kind of really enjoyed it. Grew the company to be pretty large. And then things that you never expect, right? Some people get married. Some people have a kid. I got cancer, right? So I'm 38 years old at the time and I get diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And it's like full stop. I mean, I was working 80 hours a week, traveling everywhere, loving every minute of it. I mean, fun dinners and cool experiences, meeting people, high fives, like lots of really fun stuff. And then it was like, you're going to be chained to a chair doing chemotherapy and radiation, you know, and we got to do surgery. We got to do this. And it was like a complete life disruption overnight. And um, so... I'm, I'm still kind of a total hardhead. So I literally, during my entire treatment, I only missed three days of work. And it was because I was required to be in the hospital for a full day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, the rest of the time I would keep coming into work no matter how bad I felt. That was my, my tempo, my rhythm. It was how I created a sense of normalcy in my day-to-day routine. Is mm-hmm. I was like, no, screw this. I'm going to work. And I did. And so, but, but when I got finished with cancer treatment, I kind of came out the other side what had happened is it gave my partners a chance to run different parts of the business more so when I wasn't there. And they decided, you know what, we, we really like to do this too. <laughs> and, and I think that's really healthy that we had that conversation. And I was like, well, there's, you can only have one person doing it at a time. Mm-hmm. So it's probably time for me to go. Mm-hmm. And so we did, we negotiated a deal and I exited and um, then I started my next thing, you know? So that was definitely the next big chapter. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so I don't I don't recommend getting cancer. That that's not on my Yeah, I mean that's yeah, it's low my, on the list. Hey, but you uh you made it through and yeah, it's uh can't yeah. I, I can't even imagine. I mean I've you know No, nah, it sucked, man. It was terrible. That I uh most people get really skinny when you do like uh radiation and chemo. Mm-hmm. And um I guess the, it's it's a bad thing, right? So it gets so bad where people get feeding tubes because they can't even swallow food anymore. Um but about ten percent of the people for whatever reason, have the opposite reaction. <laughs> so I gained like 150 pounds wow. in like six months. I mean, it was like, I, I was, the pictures, yeah, I still look back at it today. And of course, I'm totally bald with no hair, mm. you know, and I just look like the marshmallow Stay Puft man from Ghostbusters. And it's just like, whoa, you know, like, what is that? Wow. Yeah, and it was the steroids, man. So uh, by the time the radiation was all in, um, I could not eat solid foods, but the nurse was like, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks. So you thanks. kicked you kicked it and then Yeah, I mean, kicked it and I've been cancer free now. Um actually thinking this through for a minute. Um today I'm almost a month shy of four years okay. uh, in remission. So, so what yeah. was like, you know, you get out, you know, what do you start doing right away? Yeah, so I got out of the company. Actually I started doing nothing right away. And I was like, I've never like really taken a break. Mm. Right? And I just met this new girl. <laughs> <laughs> I was cancer free, met a new chick, just exited out of my last company. I was like, I'm going to try and like, I'm going to take six months off. Mm-hmm. And so like we went to Japan, we did all this cool fun stuff, bro. Like 
six weeks in, I was like, I got to start another company. I can't mm. do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I can't just sit around. I right. got to do something. Yeah. And that's about how long it lasted, about six weeks. And I was I was ready to start my next firm. And, and that's what I did. This one's definitely um, closer to real estate. So I actually today, like what I specialize in is I work with people to put their money to work in alternative investments, mm. right? So not stocks, not bonds, nothing in the traditional marketplace. So for me, one of my major um, verticals, if you will, mm-hmm. is real estate. Mm-hmm. So people invest with my company and mm-hmm. then we go out and look for deals, fix them up, and then we manage them ourselves. We don't flip anything. We hold everything and portfolio it. Mm-hmm. And we do it primarily, I, I like to say anywhere you can lay your, your head at night, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like single family, multifamily, and then we also do hospitality. Okay. So that's the real estate component of my All over capital. the country? Well, yeah, but it, I mean, it's got to be deployed correctly. So I started in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually have um, another place in Mississippi. So I started buying up there mm-hmm. and I have stuff in uh, Georgia. And right now we're looking at deals in um, Alabama and Tennessee and Missouri as well. So, yeah. That's cool. What does the team look like? What does the team look like? So primarily I try to be really lean. Um, so I have kind of like the top level, like, you know, think of them as like your captains, if you will. And it's like, I have one person that oversees property management, one person who's over development, one person who's over investor relations, one person who's over leasing and, and management, that kind of stuff. And then underneath them, if there is anyone else, it's contractors, Got it. you know? So this is the core team. They're all employees. You know, we meet all the time, you know, the whole weekly meetings and then one-on-ones and like a very team culture. And then below them, it's usually contractors, people we bring in that we work with on a regular basis. That's cool. Have you heard of Traction or do you operate with Traction? We don't operate with Traction. So we use a couple of different, I'm trying really hard not to endorse a friend of mine's stuff on here because I haven't asked him for permission, but there is some software that maybe later we'll link in the bio or something. But um, for us, we use um, a lot of Asana. Okay. Um, for task management, project management, yeah, yeah. we use that a lot. Um, and a highly customized versions of that. We also have Salesforce that's pretty customized too for tracking our database systems as well. So who's finding the deals? You're finding the deals? So yeah, we also, so we have a hedge fund basically. <coughs> it's a real estate <coughs> fund. And my investors come in and they invest in the fund. And then I have uh, partnerships with lending institutions, usually community banks, mm-hmm. who will partner with us. So we're not paying just straight cash for deals, mm-hmm. you know, or we will, and then they'll cash us out kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, so we have a, an investment fund of which I invest in my own fund, which mm-hmm. is, I think, important for any investor to, to know. And then we go out and we buy property. So we're all participating. It also keeps anyone from cherry picking <clears> anything. <throat> like I ran across a screaming deal the other day, right? I could have just done the deal myself, Mm -hmm. but I didn't. I put it in my fund and Mm -hmm. everybody's winning and they know that. And I'm sure they like to see that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's great, man. Mm -hmm. I love it. That's cool. We have a fund here. It's not huge. Um, I think we own six, seven properties, Uh, sixplex, duplex, couple houses. Nice. But it was a, we were buying properties and we're pretty right now hyper-focused on Austin Mm -hmm. and we have a unique problem, I think, which is we do find great deals, but we don't have enough capital. And everyone always says, yeah, find the deals, find the capital. And it's not always as easy as they make that seem, right? It's true. I mean, you might find the capital, but they want the whole deal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, capital always comes with conditions. Yeah. So we, um, we're we always doing these one-off partnerships to figure out how to get these deals done. We started this fund. It's been great. But we're back to, you know, I think there's like 30 grand in the account because we keep getting like 50, 100, 150 
but it's gone in two two deals. You know, one two deal, a duplex and a single family. Yep. And I feel like our problem uh, is that we don't have anybody full time selling the story, raising capital because we it. have a good story. Nailed it. We know how to. We have a track record, but nobody's doing that full time. It's just kind of. Yeah. Yeah, until you hire, like, call them whatever you want, your capital markets, your investor relations, fundraising, whatever. But until someone yeah. owns the identity and is full-time raising money, it will always be a problem. Yeah. Hell, it'll be a problem even when you have full-time staff. It'll right. just be at a bigger scale, right, you know. Right, You'll start right. running into bigger stuff. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you look, there's a few ways to solve it. You hit the, the nail on the head. The big one is bring in some staff, you know, or someone who's accountable to that, manages that. Another one is to basically try to it's it's kind of like wholesaling but you know sell the stuff off find you an institutional buyer who's mm -hmm. much bigger than you who mm -hmm. has a buy box mm -hmm. come in prep the deals make the money and sell it off recycle your capital right right and then so there's that's that's another way to do it and then the inefficient but where everyone ends up going to is mm -hmm. you end up having these one-off deals with capital you know it's like oh well yeah. we're gonna partner on that deal but on that one he's an lp but on this one he's part of the gp and on this one oh my gosh yeah, yeah. You know, that sucks, but that's where we end up. Yeah. What What would be your advice uh, for me and also listeners? Like, let's say I was going to be like, I want to be the full-time capital raiser. What What is that role? You know, you, when I think about that role, it seems pretty fun. <laughs> you think of like just going around meeting people, you know, whining and dining, playing golf, all this stuff. Is that somewhat of a reality or what would, what, how would you lay that out on like, here's what to think about when raising capital? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll answer your question first. Yes, there is a tremendous amount of fun involved in raising money because it's building rapport with clients, and a lot of times that's done in fun ways, over dinner, over drinks, playing golf, traveling. I mean, I've, I've been to crazy Vegas concerts of music that I care zero about because my client wanted to go. You mm, know what I mean? Sure. And I'm like, yeah, this is great. I love it. You know? <laughs> so get get ready to do things you don't really want to do mm. and still put the face on mm. and still think about, well, I'm doing this because I'm, I want this person to know that I'm invested in our relationship. Mm. But it has to be, and this is the big piece, now I'm moving to like where you have to build it. It's got to come from a place of authenticity. Mm -hmm. You can't just put on a fake smile and go out there and smoke a cigar whenever you're getting green in the face and you can't smoke cigars. Sure. You know, you can't do that. That, that doesn't feel right, mm. right? Um, but also you can't go out there and tell the story if you don't believe in where you're asking them to put the money. Mm -hmm. And that's why more often than not, the owner, the namesake, the entrepreneur who's raising the capital, it's the same guy. It's his company. Mm. It's a lot of it, hiring a third party or like an individual to come in and raise money for you when it's not their business. It's really challenging. It's really hard to, cause they're not going to act and think and behave like the owner because mm. they're not sure. And in a small business, when someone's investing, they want to talk to the owner. They don't want to talk to some guy you hired. Sure. So you're kind of trapped. Like you have to create an opportunity for you to get out of the day to day mm. business. You know, you were just talking about checking in with your people and stuff. Well, you may not be that guy. Maybe yeah. you have a partner who does that, but you're going to be busy mm -hmm. and you know, they're going to see you on the road. They're going to see you going to meetings. People are going to be coming in here. You're not going to be asking them, how was your day to day? Mm -hmm. You'll be lucky if you're able to continue to do that kind of stuff, mm. but you have to come from a place of authenticity. You have to believe in what you're doing and why you're doing it. Mm -hmm. And then you have to pr open yourself up and have a direct connection with them. That's cool. You know, it's I really like important. It. I'll tell you what I'm thinking. Um, cause I don't like buying the deals is great. Um, but my real vision and dream is to really create this entrepreneurial brokerage right and we're i mean we got 
last month we had seven classes this month we have a class every day except one right like there's a lot of fast paced implementing a lot of good structure alex is a really great partner a lot of good people andrew and that are bought in and i don't necessarily want to just go buy a ton of real estate although that's a great side benefit and it's it's a tool that we need because we want to be able to buy with agents mm-hmm. but what i really think that we need is like an actual partner for the business of like someone who comes in and writes a big check and owns a smaller percentage um, but then it allows us to really build it out much mm-hmm. better mm-hmm. so um you know we study businesses and you know I, there's this point of mcdonald's whenever they got i think it was like a 10 million dollar check and it really kicked you know like, i think they gave up like 27 percent or something 30 percent but that is what let them really get big mm-hmm. and i feel like we need that maybe we maybe i'm maybe we don't maybe we do i don't know i mean big goal is like we, w- we want to be the entrepreneurial brokerage all over the world and um or at least try to, right? Mm-hmm. Like whether we do that or not, like we're gonna, we wanna go down swinging. Right. Um, so w- what do you think about that? Like is... Well, first, well, I would say that first of all, just like what a cool vision. Yeah, thanks. Know? What Appreciate a cool that. vision to be like, bro, I wanna have this all around the world. Yeah. You know, like it that. Do, it that, does feel good to... It takes some stones to be able to think that big, sure. you know? And you're like, all right, that's crazy. I can do that. And yeah. that's great. You know, the next thing is, can you believe it? <clears throat> right and and as the entrepreneur you have to believe it before everybody else does yeah right because you're selling the vision and if it's not authentic no one's gonna jump on board sure so okay i think you're there right you've, you've checked those boxes in the next level now it's about like taking those big ideas and starting to block them down into smaller component pieces that allow you to achieve them whether you need third-party capital or another partner or not kind of beside the point we can talk about that but you have to take like okay here's my crazy vision now, in order to get there, what are the, the big steps to get there, mm-hmm. right? And then take those steps and break them down into small steps and continue to do this until it's like, this is what I'm doing tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, that's my life plan and how I'm going to get there. But that journey, which is pretty typical, mm-hmm. right? Like, like there's there's all kinds of guys that, that offer things to do this, like like the big-ass calendar kind of stuff. You know, there's all these kind of cool ways to talk about, you know, how, what goals I'm going to accomplish next year. But you may on that journey discover like I, the only way I can accomplish this goal is with capital infusion. Got like it. that is what you need to do to have that. Right, and whether right. you're talking about the McDonald's moment or the Coca-Cola moment or these big companies where they make this big jump yeah. and they get a big check. Well, a lot of it has to do with like, that is the reality when it's time to make that next big, big move. You know, when Steve jobs got the order from IBM, you know, like that was the big deal. You know, it's like, okay, it's like, got it. Or when, Bill Gates kind of sold his software in DOS for the first time. You know, it's like there had to be a big check writer and someone came in and is giving a lot of money to a company to let them take that massive leap. Yeah. And it's true for a lot of businesses. I'm following you. And it seems like that that's good. Um, you know, because if I was raised $10 million right now, I'd be on like a, a vision, right? Mm-hmm. And it seems like, well, you'd get to that point where you need it and then it's actually probably a little bit easier to get that money because they yeah. they see that and there's something there that they're like oh yeah i get because they're they're smart with 10 million dollars yeah <laughs> so. and it's back to the comment you made a minute ago like you know good deals attract the capital kind of thing but again capital has conditions yeah the same thing will happen to you when you have a new partner you know and then you just gonna have to make a decision whether it's worth it or not yeah that's cool i love that so what what ways can listeners or our tre add value for you and Obviously, you're raising capital, trying to buy deals. Is that the main goal to 
get this out in front of investors. Man, I, I'm trying to say this without sounding like an old man, but like I've had a long life for such a youngish person, mm-hmm. uh, a guy in his 40s now. Um, the, the truth is like I'm not looking for anything anymore, mm-hmm. which is kind of a really cool place to be. Sure. You know, it's like I've already done some cool stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm really happy with what I did. Now I'm trying to give back. Mm-hmm. Like I'm trying to add value for other people, whether it's come over here and speak on a podcast or go talk at a conference or look at a deal. You know, like I love, I'm a deal junkie. Can't help it, right? <clears throat> Most real estate investors are deal junkies. We can't help it. Mm-hmm. I love looking at deals. I love helping people. So, mm-hmm. you know, I would say if someone wants to reach out to me or they have something they want me to look at, like I'm totally cool with that. Yes, of course, if someone wants to invest in my fund, that's fun too, but that's not what I pitch. It's not what I'm here for. It's not what I do, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and that's, yeah, that's, that's it, that's you know? Cool, so man. reach out to me if you need some help with something. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I love giving back. Well, we could we get 160 people in here because <laughs> there's a lot of wisdom. I mean, it's cool. Like, uh, obviously, you've been around and you're serious about business, but it's cool because I understand that you just get it quickly, which is awesome. I think a lot of it's the condensed uh, lifetime. I think so. Mm-hmm. I tried to explain this to people. So, like one time, I love whiteboarding stuff. You know, so I got a whiteboard out and I was like, let's talk about the typical person. You mm-hmm. know, they get out of college, they're 22 years old, and they're going to work 40 hours a week mm-hmm. until they're, let's say, 65. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm like talking about the math here and building this in. It's like, okay, so they got a little, like, basically 40 years, mm-hmm. you know, 43 years of full time. So 43 years, 40 hours a week, it's this many hours, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, bro, I hit that many hours at the age of 34. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, for me, it's just I've seen so many different things, um, and, and I've just experienced just so many stories that are fun to talk about sure could show up in writing someday and people are like there's just no way that happened and i'm like man i did i was there mm-hmm. you know so mm-hmm. i try to live a full life for me it's about experiences more than anything else yeah i love it man it's beautiful well that's all we got for now if you guys want to reach out uh we'll put some notes in the comments reach out to us directly um we're lucky that uh you hang your license here which is really <laughs> cool yeah for absolutely pro- for property management stuff um, that's a blessing. And I forgot how we got connected. Uh, we had a mutual friend uh, that put us in contact with each other. Cool. Yeah. It was Jordan, actually. Yeah. Uh, Jordan. Suber. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right on. Damn, yep. That's cool. Thanks, Jordan. Um, all right, guys. We appreciate you so much. If you can, uh, let us know if you have any questions, comment, share it with your friends. We're trying to get this out there. Um, the entrepreneurial spirit is alive and well. Go get it, guys. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>